All right, what's up to all the cinephiles out there? Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. I am your host, Spencer Bailey, and I am here with my co-host. She's back. The slider to my Iceman. The goose to my Maverick. Chelsea Burnett is in the house. Hi, it's so good to be back. I was wondering what Top Gun reference we'd make for my intro. I feel I I I uh I feel just as special as Tom Cruise must have felt at Cannes getting his uh special uh palm uh palm award for just showing up and making this incredible movie. Oh, I've got an award ready for you. It's, it's in the other room. <laughs> uh well, and that brings us to our spotlight topic of the episode. We saw Top Gun Maverick on Memorial Day because we are patriots. And uh, we're going to talk about Top Gun and we're going to gush over it because we loved it. But more of that in a minute. Chelsea, it's been a while. Uh, It's so glad to have you back. Kind of took May off the both of us because we just both had a lot going on, a lot of of personal stuff. But I kind of figured we hit a year making this show in May. And I think we've just earned a reprieve. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, a little sabbatical or something. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I know June's here. Movies are back. They've been back. I don't know. Movie summer movie season is is upon us, so feels good to be here recording and talking about movies. Summer summer movie season's here, and it's been a strong start so far. And obviously, I talked about that on the last episode, but it just keeps going with with Top Gun, which we'll get to in a minute. But first, want to talk about a couple of uh, uh, well, a sad news story and an interesting news story. So. I know this happened a couple weeks ago, but with this first uh, first chance we've had to talk about it, uh, fortunately we lost Ray Liotta, and uh, he was only sixty seven, which is, is is too young, I think. Uh, was glad to hear that at least he sounds like he passed peacefully in his sleep, but uh, always loved Ray. Um, seemingly underappreciated actor, and I think part of that was his fault because I think he tried to shake or not get tied to. His Goodfellas image, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how you feel about that, but you know he took some chances in the '90s, and none of them really paid off. But uh, I don't know what what do you remember first associating Ray Liotta with? It would be it would be Goodfellas is, um, and then I, I mean I he has a very um, distinctive face, like those blue eyes, yes. and um, so I I I know I've seen him around in things, but it wasn't until a couple years ago when I finally saw something wild that I seeing him in that in that Jonathan Demme film, and, which came out four years before Goodfellas and um, where he he's a little more of an unhinged uh, and very scary character um, uh, that. That has become probably my favorite performance of his, but I really don't. I'm not that familiar with his filmography beyond really Goodfellas or or now something wild. But I'm 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 happy that I I finally got to kind of uh, experience him in another film besides Goodfellas, and and to see that there is a lot of range there. I, Goodfellas is a great movie. I haven't seen it in a really long time, but uh, yeah, it seems like maybe he did get pigeonholed a bit as like a. A, a mobster sort of guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, funny enough, the the first movie I remember really associating him with was uh, Karina Karina, just because it was on TV all the time, mm. and like we would just, you know, 
weekend, your your family's cleaning the house and stuff. Like I think my parents would just throw it on, and I so I always remember him from that. And I mean, because I was too young to see Goodfellas in, in the mid '90s, but uh, yeah, he I think he finally accepted his fate later on and just got really into the dirty cop or com- com- complicated cop uh, uh, movies, which he's amazing. He's awesome in Copland. Narc is an okay movie that he's really good in. Um, uh, he's been in he's been in a he's he's been in a lot of movies that are just like okay to like not great, uh, but he's really good in it. Uh, but even last year in the uh, No Sudden Move, the Soderbergh movie that just dropped on HBO, which I'll continue to sing its praises, he's in that. He you could kind of tell he's looking rough in that movie. Mm-hmm. I almost didn't recognize him to be honest with you, but uh, uh, yeah, he really had that niche and he was he was good at it and. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, totally. And he, I mean, he's got that great maniacal laugh too, or he had that that really <laughs> great, great kind of maniacal laugh. But um, did he ever work with Martin Scorsese again? I don't believe so. Okay. I don't think so. And there's a few people that hadn't. And like, we're getting off topic, but you know, it's kind of crazy that Pacino didn't work with Scorsese until The Irishman. But yeah, yeah, so true. Yes, yeah, two great. Um, Italian Americans, you 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 wonder what happened there, why it took so long. Um, yeah, well, Ray Liotta, I I did not quite realize I, it wasn't until his death and listening on all the various movie podcasts that I'm subscribed to, just I kind so many fans of his it seems have come out of the woodwork that I didn't I didn't realize were there. So he had a a lot of love um, outpouring for him uh, in these last few weeks. So I. So sad to see someone, especially at that age, go the way that they did. But at least it was peaceful, it seems like. Yeah, agreed. And um, I think the one tweet that stuck out to me that kind of made me sad was James Caan, of all people, like had a really just one sentence, sad, sad tweet. It was just kind of like, no, not Ray or something. And, Mm. you know, James Caan's probably got 20 years on 15 years on Ray Liotta. So having someone that much younger that's a friend with you die before you is probably probably rough. So, yep. Ray, we'll miss you, and um, uh, at least we have have all the awesome performances that I'll, you gave us. I'll seek out more of those movies you just dropped, uh, that because uh, I think that's a big blind spot um, Cop- for me. Copland's great. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, it, when it came out, it, it, the critics were not kind to it. But I remember finally watching it as an adult and uh, kind of wondering why it wasn't more appreciated. It, it Stallone is like legitimately good acting performance cool. in that movie. So, and then Harvey Keitel's in it, really. I mean, it's, it's a good movie. Okay. Moving on to a, a, a fun story that just really cracked me up this week. So if you're on the internet, you probably already have seen this, but so the Morbius movie, the Jared Leto Marvel movie about the guy who turns into a vampire, um, kind of seemed destined to be awful. As soon as it was greenlit, the trailer came out, looked bad movie came out everyone said it was bad um i kind of had a hunch it was not going to make its money back and so far it has not well it became a giant meme on the internet <laughs> to, i mean everybody was making memes and video clips edited video clips to do these these funny jokes because they're literally just making fun of the movie um it has a cinema score of c plus which is really fucking low like like normally a cinema score even if, if it's a b like that's not great yeah uh c plus is bad um, but the, but the memes started gaining traction on the internet as memes do to, uh, my favorite is, um, you know, the old power Rangers thing. They'd say it's morphin time. Well, 
people started saying it's Morbin time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but it's really funny to me. Uh, well, the studio Sony picked up on this. It's like, oh, it's trending. They're like, well, let's re-release it in theaters, not understanding that people were making fun of the movie. And maybe they thought that was, an, even if they knew that's what it was, maybe they thought that was enough to make people go. And uh, they're like, we're going to re-release it, even playing off the Morbin time joke, like the studio was making like Twitter commercials saying, oh, what time is it? <laughs> well, they re-released it this weekend. It made 85000 on Friday and 85000 on Saturday. Still has not made its money back. <laughs> oh, man. I just don't understand how studios keep falling for this. It's like at the Oscars when they did the fan poll thing. Mm -hmm. And they just picked... That seemed like such a joke. I know the Zack Snyder movies. It's like, what were you thinking? Yeah, the internet got the, the better of uh, the Oscars with that one. Um, kind of trolled on them, it seems. Um but with the with the Morbius re-release, did they do a full like nationwide re-release? Yes. Okay, not just in like the coastal cities. Wow, um, I yeah. To be honest, Morbius like t I I got it a little mixed up in my mind with Venom, and I didn't know if like when the Venom sequel came out, if Morbius came out sort of around the same time. But um, I. Are they, are they, they're sort of in the same yeah. universe, right? But it's um. weird how this stuff happens because Sony owns the rights to Spider Man films. Mm -hmm. Venom is part of Spider Man, Morbius is part of Spider Man in the, in the comics. Sony worked it out, this deal with the MCU to let them borrow Spider Man, but they were kind of self containing Venom. And then I guess at the end of the second Venom, I heard because I've, I've been so burnt down on superhero movies. I, haven't, I don't think I've seen one in theaters since Endgame. But what I understand is the end credits for Venom 2 ties Venom to the all the whole multiverse thing that they're doing now. Okay. So that means, well, and then apparently at the end of Morbius, same thing. Uh, Michael Keaton's character from the first Tom Holland movie mm -hmm. shows up. So they're trying to tie the Sony universe into the MCU. Now they're doing this multiverse thing. Okay. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I, I don't know, but people do not seem to like Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Jared Leto just can't really win, can he? But Yeah, well, he is rich and has an Oscar, so uh, I don't feel too bad for him. <laughs> no, no, no. And he seems to do pretty well with his like whole Gucci um, uh, endorsement deal, whatever he does. But And he looks very good in Gucci. Um, oh, the the thing about this, though, with, with Sony misreading the, um, the memes and, and the... Uh, and misconstruing it to think that there was some actual positive buzz for the film. I, it kind of, yeah, it just sort of highlights, I guess, this disconnect between what, what moviegoers, I guess what studios think all moviegoers want and well what I would, all moviegoers are not alike, but what I would love to see um, us kind of go back to is the type of theater experience I felt like I had growing up where in one weekend you could easily go see a blockbuster film but the the same attention and effort with marketing had been put into the smaller stories uh, like the the comedies the romantic comedies the dramas they all sort of had the same excitement and buzz around them so flipping through the newspaper and looking at showtimes it wasn't just like what's out there oh there's there are two like nowadays what is it there's there's like 
two superhero movies playing at a time maybe you can choose from sometimes and three those, and i don't even want to i don't even want to shit on those because i do think in a lot of ways those are keeping theaters alive and i'm glad that they exist but i guess i just want to see more effort be put uh, and money be put into marketing of uh, movies of all types but i sound like a broken record i know i've said this before but um but yeah i i, th- I know we've been talking about how how stoked we are to um to feel there's like a type of nostalgia we have for the old time, uh, the the older days of cinema and and the type of movies that were made that that see, didn't all seem like they had the same kind of sheen to them. And uh, I would just like to see more variety like that in, in theaters. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get back to the show to talk about Top Gun Maverick. Welcome back, and welcome back to Top Gun. We feel the need for speed. I just had to get that that out. I just had to throw it in. Uh, Chelsea, we had so much fucking fun seeing Top Gun Maverick, but uh, before you get into the movie, like, do you want to just riff on Cruise for a minute? Yeah, I love Tom Cruise. I, um, I think he is a true blue movie star. He um, also is, I mean, you... I don't even really want to look at the Scientology aspect of it, but just him as a person, I I think he is someone who uh, is a, such a success story. It's amazing to see someone that was so one track minded, like coming out of high school, knew he wanted to become a famous actor and just channeled that, made it happen. And I don't think he's stepped on anyone to achieve that or do anything shady along the way like he just he through his own like willpower and perseverance he went and uh went on to just become this incredible success and change I think the face of uh blockbuster cinema in the 80s and 90s and 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 now is shaping things with like those Mission Impossible films are I mean, they the, outside of MCU, DC, Star Wars, I think Mission Impossible is right up there with them as like this really fun IP to go and like keep your eye on in the theater. So um, I, uh, I I love Tom Cruise. I also think there's so much more to him as an actor than just an action star. But um, but the the heart and soul he puts into his films um, as an action star, it it now makes a lot of sense why he became so successful because he's so driven. Yeah, and he, yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Um, particularly the fact that he's just smart about the way he does. He's very passionate about the movie industry and making it successful, and he's very smart about how he handled his career. And my dad was asking me this the other day because he was kind of like, dad always, my dad was saying that uh, he always thought he was kind of an underrated actor ever since he saw Rain Man. And, um, but it's kind of impressed that he's still so relevant. And I said, well, he was really smart because I think, so in 99, he does Magnolia and Eyes Wide Shut. Mm -hmm. And I think he probably thought this is my last stab at doing something that, is in the realm of like true actor, like going to get me an Oscar or something like that. He was nominated his third and final time for Magnolia. Didn't win, obviously. 
And then I think he was kind of like, I need to adjust. And I will say, I think the last risk he took was collateral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. he's he's never been a villain other than that, unless you want to count Tropic Thunder. <laughs> but he's never been a villain other than collateral. And I don't think he's, his character has died in a movie other than collateral. Uh, and he was a good villain. Excellent. Yeah. Stone um, cold. Yeah. But I think he realized, I think he was like, how am I going to stay relevant? How am I going to keep uh, you know making movies with the new generation? Uh, and I think that's what made him steer into this this action like star. Um, you know, I take it back. I think the last real risk he took, which was not as risky as Collateral, but what was that uh, American made about oh, the guy? Oh yes, uh, the drug was he like a drug runner for like the pilot? FBI? Yeah, yeah or CIA. Um, movie didn't make a lot of money. Didn't get a lot of attention, but I think that was. Him going in the middle of all the action films, good and bad, because the Mission Impossible is good, but he did like Jack Reacher and that movie with weird one with Cameron Diaz. and Which I saw in theaters. I remember my mom and I were really charmed by it. I know it was a bomb or I, I, it's not beloved, I don't think, by anyone. But uh, I have a soft spot for night and day. I thought I actually want to go back and rewatch it and see if it's as enjoyable as I remember it being in the theater. But there was I had some chuckles in that one. Um, but to yes, it did. It was not a success for him. I, well, I don't sure, know. but I mean, I think American Made in the middle of all that was maybe the last risk. But Collateral was really him. Like, I remember when that trailer came out, mm-hmm. and you know, Jamie Foxx was red hot, and it was kind of like this. It was like one of those perfect trailers where it set up everything real slow, and you just start to get the sinister vibe around Tom Cruise, and his hair was white. But a sinister vibe around Tom Cruise, like that. I, you couldn't even fathom that before Collateral came out. Um, so I think that was him trying. But he knew he had to stay relevant. And he's also pulled more control. Like, he does a lot of producing. And he has his hand in everything, every movie he makes. Um, what's the first thing you remember really associating him with? Um, I will Because s- you're a little bit younger than me. Yeah. Um, hmm. First thing I really remember associating, <laughs> well, my 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 middle name did come from uh, Elizabeth Shue's character in Cocktail. So probably when <laughs> I found out wh- where um, my mom explaining where my middle name Jordan came from, I I mean I was too young at the time to probably see Cocktail, but then I saw it in high school. But I guess. Jerry Maguire. There we go. That's that's the film that, that pops in my head when I think of Tom Cruise. I was wondering if that was yeah. going to be your answer. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it's Top Gun. I mean, when we were kids, uh, and we'll we'll talk more about the original Top Gun here in a second. But like that was what we Top Gun was was cool, and he was the he was the main guy. But the other thing going back to that back, you know, that time, um, is to think about. And I mean, again, you're associating with Jerry Maguire, so you might remember this, but. Now it's weird to go back and think of Tom Cruise was like, like a sex symbol, mm-hmm. like especially in the eighties and early nineties, it was like Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt yeah. for like the, the ladies would like argue the girls in the playground argues like Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt, and now it's like nobody thinks of Tom Cruise that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, and um, hopefully not getting ahead of myself too much here, but what I will say in seeing him in Top Gun Maverick filling the role of Maverick again. I I think there is a little bit more of a, a sexiness to that character that um, Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible series does 
lacks. Um, or, uh, and so I, I saw him tapping into that, um, that 90s sex symbol, uh, energy, uh, uh 80s, 90s. Well, he was sex trying. I don't know energy. how, I don't know how successful um, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it was there. It didn't seem sweaty or anything. It was, it was just like, okay. And, and, um, I liked seeing him paired with a, a little more age appropriate, um, actress too, as his love interest in, in Top Gun Maverick, which, uh, because it, it always uh, reads really false to me when they try and pair him in these uh, in more recent films with a, a more ingenue kind of um, uh, actress that is much too young, in her twenties. That um, what would she be doing with sure. a fifty-something-year-old Tom Cruise? So yeah. yeah, well, it's crazy how he just always works a lot. I mean, mm. like his career starts, and then in eighty-three, he does three movies. He mm. does Outsiders, which he's he's barely in, uh, Risky Business, and All the Right Moves. Then he does in '85. He does a legend when he looks like he's like 17, and then the next year he does Top Gun, and we're off. And he's only 23 in Top Gun. It's crazy. And uh, he looks 23. I rewatched Top Gun, and and he, he I was Ke- like, Kelly well, McGillis is noticeably older than he is. Mm-hmm. But he, he had a real like kind of like feral energy um, to his. To, um, Maverick performance in in uh, the original Top Gun, and it reminded me of I I guess technically the first movie I would have ever seen him in may have been The Outsiders, even though he's a very small part because I I had to watch that in middle school, but. Uh, he was so crass and like uncouth in that film. I mean, I think he's eating chocolate cake at one scene and his like teeth almost look all browned out and blacked out. <laughs> and, um, but it was, I, I mean, I think, so I think there was kind of this like, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think he had a real, um, manic sort of weirdness to him in, uh, when he was young and, um, I, and then as he matured and got older, what I found to be really sexy about him is when he would kind of be an asshole in films or when he would get riled up or angry and kind of just be that, that jackass jerk or, or whatever. I'm more of like, I guess the Jerry Maguire kind of character. Um, and Rain Man, I find him really attractive in that movie too. Um, even though he's pretty, he's, he's a, a jerk yeah. for most of it, but, um, I mean, even in Magnolia, that character is very uh, problematic <laughs> in a lot of ways. But I, I, I like that little half pony. He's rocking in it. So, um, wow. Now I'm just kind of drifting off into thinking about sexy Tom Cruise. Now <laughs> I, I, I lost the thread. I'm sorry. But you're you're staying in that 80s, 90s, right? And that's yeah. when it was. That's when it was. But yeah, I mean, even the 80s. So what we had top. I said 83, 85, 86 was Top Gun. 87, he does Color of Money. He's definitely manic in that. Mm-hmm. 88, he does uh, Rain Man and Cocktail. Mm-hmm. 89, he does Born of the Fourth of July, and he's great in it. Gets his first Oscar nomination. And he just keeps working. 91, A Few Good Men. He's great in that. I've never seen that movie. Oh, my God. I know. Chelsea. I know. We're going we're gonna to have to, like. Or The Firm. I've never seen that either. Uh, yeah. the, firm, the Firm is, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of John Grisham novels uh, or John Grisham movies just because they always seem anticlimactic where they're supposed to be really, like, the crescendo's happening. It's like, oh, we're we're printing and faxing these papers. We got them. That's it. Uh, I will say Hackman is really good in that. Uh, Gene Triplehorn's really good in that. And uh, Wilford Brimley is. But it's just, I don't know. He, Few Good Men's amazing. Like, we might have yeah. to set that up this week. Like, have a movie <laughs> night or something. But, um, yeah, it just, the firm is like 93. It just, Jerry Maguire is 96. He just keeps going, going, going. 
Um, so yeah, super fascinating um, persona, like American actor. I, you're right. The Scientology stuff's problematic. We haven't heard about it in a long time. Like, yeah, he really, probably has a good publicist. Oh, uh, probably. <laughs> yeah. But other than the Scientology stuff, and I mean that, depending on your point of view and your take, I mean that's a pretty damning thing. Um, you don't really hear anything bad about him. He seems to treat people fairly well and always be nice and uh i've worked with a few teamsters um on different shows i've been on who have worked on tom cruise films they had nothing but good things to say I, about him and his work ethic and never uh, heard about professionalism yeah yeah between all the uh podcasts i listened to like bill simmons and uh, i used to i used to listen to adam carolla's podcast when it was still funny and he wasn't a crazy old man but uh they all talk about going to like party jimmy kimmel's house and tom cruise shows up and he could not be nicer to everybody so he sends, what is it? He sends a, oh, a cake, cake yeah. to people every year, which I want to try. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you get on that list? I mean, do you ever <laughs> fall off the list? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Like once you make it on his list of a cake recipient for Christmas, do you ever stop receiving the cake? Yeah. Or does that list just get longer and longer with the more movies he makes? Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot. He's got the money to send all those cakes out. But yeah, I listened to uh, Nicole Kidman got interviewed by Mark Marin mm-hmm. uh, last year and uh, when he briefly brought up their kids, like she had nothing bad to say, like, wow, we raised these kids together, even though we're not married anymore. So I don't know. Um, but anyway, we're just talking about Top Gun now. So, uh, <laughs> legacy sequel, my very much made me think of uh, Blade Runner, mm-hmm. yeah. um, Blade Runner 2049, although that did not get the attention it deserved and Top Gun seems to be, but you know, with the old one, when we were kids, it was really cool. Uh, we thought it was cool. And if you watch the old movie as a kid, it can be a little boring because they're just running these tests. I mean, these these, these uh, simulations, the whole the yeah. whole movie. Which carried over into the new film, but there's a lot more um, right. live action to, sure. to yeah, pair with it. Um, but I, I was going to say, as you get older, you realize how just really silly and uh, like absurd the first Top Gun is. And like none of that was in this movie. It was it was just you watch the first movie because it's entertaining. You watch this movie because it's good. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I and and I I have heard a lot of people say that they think the top that Top Gun Maverick is a better film than Top Gun, which which may be true. I think I need to watch both movies a lot more to kind of like really see where I land on it. I mean, in terms of the the shots from from. Uh, from the cockpit, yes. I think if we're looking at it as a as an action film, Top Gun Maverick is a better uh, and more more of a thrill ride. But also, I mean, it would would the movie would Maverick has been as successful without Top Gun if it wasn't if it didn't have Top Gun in the name? Do you think the movie would be making as much money as it is now? Or no, I mean, I, I definitely think a big part of it is the, is the nostalgia. And I mean, I saw the stats. It was like by far the most ticket sales have been men over 35, but which that would be me. Um, it's still making, I mean, it's like two weekends in a row. It's, it's crushing. And it's like, I saw today, like it's making both weekends, individual weekends. It's made more money than any Mission Impossible movie. So I definitely think it's a combo but they just did it the right way. They could have screwed it up. And that's the thing we were talking about earlier is his passion. Like, he did all this right way. He wouldn't release the streaming. They delayed it for three years. 
And I think we talked about, so there's no trailers. At least when we saw it, there was no trailers. Yeah. It was just a message from Tom Cruise, like a PSA, like, thank you for joining us. This was years in the making. We made it for you, so enjoy it. And it goes right into the Paramount logo. And I think I would not be shocked if Tom pulled that string. It's like, look, people wait for this movie. Just give it. Don't don't make them wait anymore through trailers and stuff. Yeah, he and I. I think too. I I wanted to go back and rewatch Top Gun before we recorded this. So I rewatched Top Gun after watching Top Gun Maverick, and I I'm so one thing that I think is apparent is I and I know Top Gun has become so memeable and people laugh at how absurd the love story is and and things like that but I I I found that there was real genuine affection for what Tony Scott did in the original and and what and how that story played out um and and the the homage that they played to a lot of uh those themes and um yeah, to those themes in Top Gun Maverick, I thought was really genuine and earnest. And so I really appreciated that it didn't seem like there was a lot of winking or um, or making fun of uh, because uh, it, it. Yeah, some things maybe have not aged or seem a little dated in the first movie. I also think I'm in the minority. I find that Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis have some really nice chemistry through a uh, big chunk of the movie. And I like their, I like their love scene. I, I think this, the kissing does it for me. I know people make fun of the tongues. Maybe there's like one too many licks, but I think that they have, I like the, I liked the way Tom Cruise kisses. So uh, I think it, it worked. It, it really did it for me watching it again. I was like, was I just in a weird mood the first time I saw Top Gun and thought it was, thought it was hot, but no, I still think it's a hot scene. So people can make fun of it all they want, but I'm over here championing that their love story. So yeah, uh, that I just I just wanted to have my little moment to 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 speak up for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's good stuff in the first one. It is there's some really silly stuff too, but um, you know, I thought that so so by the way, the movie's been out for over a little like a week, so we're gonna we're gonna be a little spoilery. Uh, just a heads up, but I don't. I don't think anything we're going to spoil isn't. I mean, the, the movie was pretty predictable. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think they did a really good job with the new one of bringing back stuff that we really enjoyed, but also giving us stuff. There was stuff in this movie that, like, I wanted in the first movie. Like when you're a kid, it's like, this is so cool. Like these fighter jets, like Tomcats. F-14 Tomcats were such cool planes when you're a kid. I think I had a model me and my dad put together, and um you know, Maverick's character and Iceman's character being cool, but you don't really get to see them. You know, there's just like this ham-fisted dogfight at the end of the first movie that they don't even really touch. Like, oh, some planes causing trouble. You got to go deal with them. They're in some ambiguous country. We're not going to say anything. And this movie gives like, when they're like, this is a very serious mission. It's a very serious military mission. And you have to train these people, and then we're all going to go on it. I'm like, this is what I wanted in the first Top Gun. Yeah, it also could have maybe made when when Val Kilmer, when Iceman and Maverick do finally have their moment at the end of the film, um, which carries over their story, carries over into Top Gun Maverick and the the relationship that they formed in that last dogfight. I I, I made me think that dogfight was so rushed and we got to it that I wish there had been more uh, camaraderie building. Uh, something that like what with with what they did with the Glenn Powell character in uh, Hangman in Maverick 
who I think was kind of filling in as the antagonistic character oh, that Iceman 100%. played, they I feel like gave a little more service to the Hangman Glenn Powell character in Maverick uh, that made the payoff at the end make a little more sense or felt more gratifying. I I I. As we all know, we did a Val Kilmer episode. I I really do love him uh, as an actor, and I I wish there had just been a little bit more of him in in the original Top Gun. Um, so the scenes that he's in, I think he's dynamite. And but maybe just maybe we could have had one more moment between him and Tom Cruise that would have made the ending seem that much more satisfying between them. In the original, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. original. No, I think you're right with Hangman too. But the thing is, he's definitely a replacement for Iceman. Same haircut and everything, but. The difference is Iceman, although had a little bit of an ego, was still like, we got to do things the right way. Mm -hmm. And Hangman is pure ego. Like, he is so self-centered. And I think because of that, he doesn't get to be the guy like Iceman gets to be the guy. Like, Iceman is the definitive best in the first movie, and Hangman doesn't get to be Mm -hmm. that guy. Um, So, I mean, they kick off the movie immediately with the nostalgia. The movie opens up the same exact way. With the with the the wording about Top Gun, the sun rising on the on the aircraft carriers are getting the jets ready, the the synth music coming in, and then they kick off in the danger zone. I mean, it's the same. Like we both said, walking out, we were like, until it said Top Gun Maverick, we were like, did we? Because there were no trailers, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, did we just walk into the the original Top Gun? Um, and then the first time you see Tom Cruise, he puts on the old jacket. Gets on the motorcycle. I love that he still uses a <laughs> paper calendar. <laughs> and he, I, and he points to it. Today, we're going Mach 9. Kind of one of those only in the movie sort of things. You need you need to give the audience something to look at and be like, okay. In, in one one shot, this is what you know is, is happening today. Um, Speaking of the beginning of the movie, I wish we got more Ed Harris. Yeah. He was... I mean, his character didn't have anything else to do after that opening scene, but uh, he's fucking Warren awesome. Harris, less John Hamm. That is my hot take on this movie. I did not like John Hamm at all, and get him out of it. I I don't want to see John Hamm in those roles anymore. I I think <laughs> if he's going to be cast as uh kind as uh as a jerk isn't really the right right word, but a hard he ass. Was a hard ass. I think is Don Draper in Mad Men. They, that was perfect because he was – there were times he was intimidating. He intimidated a lot of people. But there was also like a little bit of a sense of humor to that character. He just felt more well-rounded. He just – I mean, and it's why the Don Draper character is so iconic. I, I didn't see John Hamm fitting into this role. Uh, he was doing nothing for me. I, I don't know. I didn't find um, there was really any – charisma on screen any charm and uh, ed harris was so much better in his one scene with tom cruise you know giving him uh what for scolding him than i've ever found john ham in, in in the movie so uh i don't know if it's john ham's fault but i i can't think really of a better actor to have filled that role it's it's not really the fun role you want to play anyway being the person that's always having to put tom cruise or maverick in his place but um I don't know i just i leaned over to micah when it was over and i was just like get john ham out of this i i don't know what he was <laughs> i i i didn't find his his presence to be adding anything to the film so um nothing against the man himself i think john ham is wonderful and i do love him in other things i just didn't like him in this 
Yeah, I, I kind of I wish he'd get back to doing something substantial. I mean, I guess this might have been a first step. Um, he, I don't know. I he didn't do anything special for me. I mean, he just he did what the character needed to do, and and that was that. Uh, and Ed Harris was yeah, Ed Harris was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish he'd been more of it. Ed Harris is playing an admiral who is basically the person who tells Maverick he's going to head back to to Top Gun. The way they do it is great because he's like, and it's like, you've been requested back to the name of the actual school and Tom Cruise slow turns. He goes, going back to Top Gun. It's like, ooh, here we go. But uh, yeah, but as soon as he walks in the door, John Hamm is like, I don't like you. I don't want you here. Just you're only stick here. in the mud. I know. You're I only here because Admiral Iceman <laughs> recommended you. Apparently at this point, Iceman is like top dog Admiral in the Navy. So I know. And. Uh, how how lovely too was did did you did you find that because I didn't know I was like how how are they gonna fit Val Kilmer into this movie because we we know he is limited with how he can um, how much he can speak and um, I at first I was like I really hope it's not gonna be they flash a picture of him. And it's just going to be a texting relationship between him and Tom Cruise. But I think it paid off uh, uh, really well when they finally do meet face to face and and worked with the constraints that they have around uh, what Val Kilmer is capable of right now. No, no, I totally agree. Um, And I knew he was in the movie because they were pretty explicit about that. He is on camera. So I knew we got to see the picture of him. And then, yeah, it was a bunch of texting. And but I was right. I was with you. I was like, "What are they gonna do with him?" And I didn't know how, at that point of the filming how severe his his uh, throat problem was. Uh, I think the way they handled him was very respectful to Val Kilmer. One and two uh, was the best possible way to handle it. Like work it into the movie. Um, I mean, basically, we won't give too much away. But I mean. He, he, they, they're texting a lot and then when he finally like uh, Iceman is like no I need to talk to you like this is not a request you you gotta come see me he goes to his house hugs Iceman's wife he's like is it back she's like yeah he can barely talk and it's basically Val Kilmer is Iceman he's got a you know he's got a scarf on mm-hmm. he's mostly talks to him through a computer he talks to him at the end of their their meeting it's clearly not Val Kilmer's voice yeah. but he's mouthing the words um and I just think that's the best possible situation. Um, some more nostalgia there with with Iceman. Um, I would have liked a little more, I think, callbacks to the original movie, but uh, most not- notably, Kelly McGillis not in not in the movie, which I don't think it would have made sense for her to be in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, they're ma- they're even at the end of Top Gun. I, I'm I'm the original. Um, you're not even really craving her presence again or needing them to touch upon their their love story again i think it was a she, fling she yeah it was a fling it was a it was a, a fun fling and take my breath away i mean they uh gave you know that great theme song to their love story but um but yeah it was the the film is is so much more than just their their love story so um but uh yeah so she uh, would have been cool to see her in this if they found a way to bring her back but uh, but Jennifer Connelly was a wonderful addition. Yeah, she was. So here's the thing. Jennifer Connelly's character. And 
even more so the character of her daughter were completely superfluous characters. Like if you took both of them out, nothing would have changed in the movie, especially the daughters. Like that, there's no reason to have that. Like she added nothing to the movie. I've also never known a girl her age to care. I've never known anyone to care that much about homework. She brought it up twice in the movie. I got to do my homework. I'm home. Oh, she was sick. So I came home. I needed to do homework anyway. And I thought, this is a little convenient. Uh-huh. I mean, she looked like maybe she was a freshman in high school. I didn't care that much about homework. Or if I was saying I needed to do homework, it was an excuse to do something else. So uh, just I would just go up in my room and watch TV and not be doing homework. So maybe that's what she was doing. <laughs> yeah. But Jennifer Connelly is so good in this movie that I don't even care mm-hmm. that, that she wasn't needed. And I didn't realize this till we got out of the theater. She is a callback in the opening scene of the first movie. Um, yeah. When the principal from Back to the Future is chewing them out, and they're all like, "You were fraternizing with an admiral's daughter," and, and Goose is like, "Penny, so and so." That was Jennifer Connelly. So I, that's at least she wasn't really just fun. like a made-up character. She mm-hmm. was someone they brought up in the first movie. But uh, yeah, she's so good in the movie that I, uh, I I didn't care. I just enjoyed it. And how does she still look so good? Like she she just the older she gets, the more attractive she gets. It's crazy. She's very happy married with Paul Bettany. And good genes. And yeah. Uh, yeah. No, she she is she is stunning and um and and I I really like her energy and I liked um I really liked her chemistry with Tom Cruise and um I I loved those all the scenes that in the bar that she owns were really I could have spent a lot more time there. I love I love a good bar scene in most films. So bars just I think lend a really great um set piece uh and and introduce a lot of great uh side characters and extras that are milling about so um yeah, yeah that those were fun and and, I, and their sailing scene too together was to get to give her a little bit more to to round her out too besides just being there as the love interest for tom cruise uh i thought it it was great to see her um this passion she shares with her daughter, which I agree, maybe the daughter was not necessary in the film, um, but uh, but that it, it it established that she and her daughter have this sailing passion together, and then it led us to this great scene between Jennifer Connelly and Tom Cruise on this sailboat that was really thrilling and yeah. really fun to see. Yeah, again, a superfluous scene, but I didn't care because it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, like Jennifer Connelly's character. Clearly loaded, and I, I, I want to know how. I mean, but I mean, she she owns a bar in San Diego. She owns that really nice sailing boat. She owns a really nice house in San Diego. Uh, I mean, not I mean, it'd be a suburban house anywhere else, but in San Diego, that's a three million dollar house, uh, and wears designer clothes and has a vintage Porsche. Like, and <laughs> she told Tom Cruise not to, Maverick not to worry about paying. The bill for Which like multiple like rounds of drinks. Three hundred dollar yeah, yeah. So uh, I know it must be nice to be her. <laughs> no, but you're right. I did love the bar scenes, and especially I remember thinking the the first bar scene where you meet everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking, okay, here's the cheese. Here's the cheese from the first movie. Sure, but it yeah. was so much. You're right. It was so much fun. It was great. I know. I braced myself. I cringed a little. I was like, ooh, how are these young guns gonna do it? Are they gonna? land the lines like with that 80s pizzazz that that I think worked in in, in delivering those those kind of corny lines in the original Top Gun like you don't question that because it was so part of the time and I think we've um 
writing and 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 um, cinema has has changed a lot in, in the way uh, I think modern audience is what we're used to. I didn't know. I was like, is this going to be cringy or not? And how are they going to do with all this like machismo and ch- and chest pumping and um, and one upping each other with all the new um, recruits? I uh, but I I I think there was a second of me cringing, and then I. I sat in my chair and I was like, they're doing a great job. They did a great job casting this. All of these act- young actors are doing such great things with their parts. So um, even the smallest role, I felt like uh, they they gave a real humanity to everyone. So Yeah. Um, and a big difference with these new people uh, from, the, uh, from the pilots in the first movie is well, welcome to 2022. Women can be pilots now. And so yeah. we get uh, Phoenix played by Monica Barbaro. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. And she's a pilot. She's not She's not the weapons expert that sits in the backseat like Goose. Um, although her backseat persons uh, handle Bob, just uh-huh. Bob, which I thought was really funny. And I wish it would explain it. Like, did Bob stand, B-O-B stand <laughs> for something? But it's just right it's in Bob. his helmet. Bob, played by uh, Bill Pullman's son. It's uh, Lewis Pullman. Uh, first time I'd seen him in anything, but you were familiar with him. I only because of a pop culture podcast I listened to. That's the only reason why he was on my radar because he's dating um, Andy McDowell's daughter, one of not Margaret Qualley, but an, another one of her daughters. So I'm like, I'm all into the nepotism and I love it. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's the only reason he was on my radar. But he looks a lot like his dad, and um, it, it it was very sweet to see him on screen. And I really really liked Phoenix. I thought. It um it's hard to be that sole woman in this very male centric film and um and sometimes I I don't I don't always like how those um women in the military setting are portrayed I I think sometimes it takes away their um. I, th- I just sometimes think it comes across as false the way that they will write for them or or the performance that they give can sometimes just seem way too posturing and doesn't seem real and they're where they're so much of an outsider always trying to scrap their way in to be with one of the guys and in this it just felt very natural it didn't really seem like uh if if there was shit talking happening it wasn't really because she was a woman um and it was it was more just because they all had their little banter with each other so um um, didn't really put that very eloquently. I just wanted to say I, I I think that actress did a really great job with the with the Phoenix role, and I really liked how she was written too. So no, well said. Um, in addition to that, we also got Hangman played by Glenn Powell, and then there was two other pilots. It was Payday, and um, I've already forgotten the other guy's ha- uh, handle. Oh my gosh! It'll probably come to us in the middle of the. <laughs> but uh, so you got this whole new crew, and you find out that Maverick's going to be. Uh, teaching them. Oh, and then of course I forgot oh, Rooster, Rooster, who's Goose's son, who played by Miles Teller. And now here comes my hot take. And I've said this on the show before. Miles Teller sucks. He sucks. I, I don't understand at all the deal, like why we have to shove this guy in all these movies. He sucks. Like he, he's not. I don't get it. Like, did you I, like him at all? Was no, there anything no. You liked about him in this? All Aww. of it. Everything I see him in, and this, this just confirms it even more for me. Every line delivery he does is so flat. He he says his lines like he's wearing an earpiece and somebody is feeding it to him. Mm. I it just I can't stand this guy. He he does the most obvious choice for everything. Like Whiplash. Okay, Miles, you're sad and going to cry here. Oh. Okay, I am sad and crying now. And like 
this one, the first time you see him, he walks in the bar. Okay, Miles, we need you to walk in like you're the coolest guy in the room. And he does the most obvious, like, dr- drama 101 way of doing that. It, it, what? The way he he delivers lines, joking with people in the bar, it's the same way he delivers lines when he's yelling at Maverick. Like he sucks. Miles Teller sucks. <laughs> I I don't have super strong feelings about him one way or the other, but I do I do recommend you see him in the spectacular now if you haven't seen that yet because you 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 might like him in that movie. Yes, you know. have recommended that. I'm I am going to watch that movie, <laughs> and that might be the one performance I like. But he sucks. Um, um, so yeah, there's, there is the new flight crew that's going to be trained by Maverick. I just want to say before we get into that, while we're on Miles Teller, uh, also notably not in this movie, Meg Ryan. Oh yeah. Who would have been died. Rooster's mom. I guess they do make mention that she passes away, but they do show footage of her from the first movie. So you get her likeness. She probably got a, a paycheck for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I love that when they cut back to the uh, piano, the Great Balls of Fire scene from the first Top Gun. It's you know it's Tom Cruise and Anthony Edwards and Meg Ryan, and right as Kelly McGillis's face is going to come in, they cut it. And I know that so they were like, "We're not going to pay her any money." <laughs> so um, so anyway, so we go to the flight school, and you find out there's a whole history behind Tom Cruise and, and Rooster. And in the in the in the trailer, they just make it think it's like, "Oh, you." Or why my dad died. Yeah. And that's not it. And they flesh it out more. And I really, I really like that. There's more depth to their animosity. Mm-hmm. And I actually think, uh, too, that they're, um, the, the movie, I think, gave enough room for their animosity to, to grow, for them to then have some kind of resolve that didn't feel like ham fisted or, um, it didn't feel realistic. Like it, it was at all like the, the way uh, rooster is able to reconcile whatever um, bad feelings he has towards Maverick is it, 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 it was very believable to me and it, it didn't um, it, they didn't drag it and drag it and drag it out in the, in the, in the story of the film, which I liked. So it just kind of like the, without spoiling too much, they are, the two of them are thrust into a situation where they, truly have to like rely on one another and trust each other and so that was a really good plot device i think for bringing those characters together yeah absolutely i think we're doing good too and not being too spoilery we're gonna you know (laughs) it's going well okay so you get to the mission you find out the mission is there's just like the first movie there's an ambiguous uh, threat threat (laughs) no country's named or anything but they're almost on an it's like an island it's a canyon and an island um and that was really well structured. I think that was yes. a super, super intense and stakes felt high. And they they also like I didn't feel confused about anything that was going on. Like sometimes in action films, I'm a little like a couple steps behind and I'm like, oh, God, I got to keep up. What are they talking about? What are they doing? They like spent enough time explaining the mission and going over the mission where it didn't feel like it, it, they it was then you know, uh, boring because they were talking about it so much, but it was just enough. Like, I, I don't know, this this movie is very dialed in. So, Absolutely. Um, yes. yeah. And, 100%. Um, and the training sequences, the simulations, the, uh, the fact that they are doing these simulations while flying, but they're, they're following a track of, of what it's going to be on the actual day. It was really, um, 
I, I, I thought that it's edited really well to, uh, to just make the stakes seem so high. And even in the training, it feels like scary and that anyone could die at a moment's notice. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, like I said, this is what I wanted in the first movie. Like, you're not just trying to graduate the school. There's, there's a threat and we're getting ready for this threat. And Maverick's point of view is this is already a very difficult thing we have to do in a tight window, but I'm going to make sure we do it to where you guys can also come home safe for the Navy's just kind of like just complete the mission. Basically there's a, there's a bunker full of uranium and they have to very strategically blow up that bunker of uranium. And the Navy just wants uranium blown up. Maverick's like, we're going to blow it up and we're all going to get home safe. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about the training, all the flight scenes are exhilarating. Like I was holding my breath so much in this movie, gripping my, my armrest, just, feeling like I was in the cockpit with, with the pilots. It was just, they took what they did in the first movie and just even just ramped it up. And we didn't see this movie in IMAX or anything, and it was still yeah. just exhilarating. I, I agree. I, I completely agree. And um, music choice, uh, using the Who song was really, I'm going to go see the Who in the fall. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> two crusty old dudes. Um, but uh, no, I, I uh, everything was just, uh, woven together uh, really masterfully in this and um, and using uh, what using technology and equipment that uh, that Rid uh, Tony Scott did not have access to in the first film but you know I think I said before like paying homage to his vision and how he wanted to portray these fighter pilots and um but using uh what can lenses cameras uh equipment we all we have today uh to bring that vision to a grander scale is really really cool and impressive yeah uh, I heard an interview with the director and he was saying that they had to figure out a ways to put IMAX cameras in the cockpits of these planes to get the shots and I mean it's it's great but the flight shots from the outside of the plane are great mm -hmm. and like a lot of it is real there is some cgi but it's seamless you can't you can't tell yeah um but uh so the mission itself we're not gonna be the first people to point this out it is blatantly the end of star wars a new hope they have <laughs> to fly low through a canyon and hit a very precise target i mean it's it's Star Wars. I'm not a familiar as familiar with Star Wars to to know that, but I'll when I go back and watch New Hope sometime, I'll be on the lookout for that. Yeah, it's it's the Death Star going through the the continent. You got to hit the, you know, it's it, a lot of people pointed it out, but we're in the theaters. I was like, this is just the end of Star Wars. What is happening? But uh, um, you find out Maverick, he gets pulled into the mission. He was just going to teach him. He gets pulled in, which you knew was coming. Uh -huh. Um. And then that whole scene, the mission is like the last quarter of the movie. Um, and it just never stops being breathtaking. Like it, one thing after another keeps happening. Um, and like I said, it's, 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 it's exactly what I wanted from the first movie. It's it, it, why this movie is such a great, such a great sequel. Yes. Yes, it is. I, I, I think that this has set, um, set the bar for a lot of sequels moving forward. And I, I wonder if there's going to be, you know, even more eighties, nineties, nostalgia, uh, spiritual successors, sequels to big blockbusters that we'll see that will, I, I hope strive to, 
do something like what Top Gun Maverick has done, where it's uh, a really, really respectful and uh, thrilling and fun, um, just a trip down memory lane, I think, for uh, uh, for movie fans. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I think you don't need to see the first one to enjoy this movie. It certainly helps, but yeah. uh, it makes the movie more enjoyable. Well, isn't it so cute to think about um, how many parents who, grandparents who were fans of the original that went to see it in theaters in the 80s can now introduce it to their kids and grandkids, take them to see Top Gun Maverick to see if they like it and they, you know, fall in love with the characters and then they're like, well, now I get to show you show you this at home and we can, you know, relive this and have so much fun. Like, And, and you get to kind of feel how – I better understand how I felt when I was young going to the theaters. I, I It's a very full circle moment and um, reminds me just what I loved so much about movies growing up was learning what made my parents happy, what, what made my grandparents happy, my aunts and uncles, what kind of stuff they loved and feeling closer to them by um, experiencing the, those films too when it, when it came my time. Yeah, and – so that's something I want to talk about. You kind of brought this up at the beginning, but we've got to get back to, so T Top Gun Maverick's doing very well. It's It's been in for a week and it's making a ton of money. It is Tom Cruise's now most profitable film. Is that Probably, correct? but I don't know about adjusted for inflation. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, it, it, it shows that, you know, I understand everybody likes superhero movies and, and for, for like a while I was all about them. You know, and I, I mean, that's fine. I'm not saying people can't like those movies. And, I, I, you know, I still like watching them sometimes, too. We cannot just keep relying on superhero movies and Star Wars and stuff like that. Like, we need movies again. And, and, and this year so far has shown people want it. Like, everything, everywhere, all at once. Making way more money than anticipated. Top Gun is making a ton of money. And I, I was telling you, like, the day after or the day before we saw Top Gun... I went to Hollywood theater and saw aliens. Like they were, they were just showing, they spent a whole week, uh, Labor Day weekend showing old or Memorial Day weekend, showing old movies. And I've seen alien 50 times and it was like watching it for the first time. Um, I, 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 like James Cameron's practical effects, like just looks so much better than CGI. And it's just so immersive in the theaters. And to think that that was still relatively original IP because the first one came out seven years prior and they really done anything. Like we need more stuff like that. We need more original stories with practical effects that are immersive and not just pumping out a movie with CGI bullshit uh, to, to make money. Uh, we need depth in these movies. We need, we need more, you know? I, I, and I, I want to see movie stars like we saw, like, like there have always been. I mean, we, we need movie stars to, to keep the the film industry going, but I want to see movie stars be given interesting parts to play and like be able to stretch themselves. Like, uh, it's it's amazing how Marvel is able to stack their cast with so many like talented actors. But um, I don't know. It just would be fun to see these talented movie stars and actors doing uh, more, uh, yeah, original stories or. Uh, something a little outside the box than what we've been used to in the last decade. Yeah, and clearly people want it. So let's make theater experiences what they used to be again. Let's let's get some variety and stuff. A um, few things I wanted to touch on before we, we close on Top Gun Maverick. Um, 
Really love the uh, memory of Tony Scott in the credits. That was really nice. I mean, it's been a while since he passed away, but that I don't know. I appreciated they did that. Uh, Hans Zimmer score. Yeah, we t- Hans Zimmer's Hans Zimmer. What else do we need to say about him? But what I loved about this one is, I bet you the score didn't even take him that much time. Like it was so in the vein of the mid '90s Michael Bay, Tony Scott, Hans Zimmer scores, uh, and it was perfect. Exactly what the movie needed. It gave me that feel, that old feel. Uh, I really, I really love that. He worked with um, Tony Scott on True Romance, right? The, the uh, I did True Romance. He did Crimson Tide. Um, I don't know if he did any other Tony Scott movies, but he like did The Rock for Michael Bay. I mean, you know, he did that mid '90s action movie mm-hmm. sound uh, score, and I uh, that's what it didn't sound like current Hans Zimmer. It sounded like '90s Zimmer, and it was it was perfect. Cool. Um, and then I also I wanted to say to you, so we won't. Give it away, but uh, or we won't we won't spoil too much of the detail of this. But something big happens in the middle of the mission. Uh, did you think they killed Maverick? For a split second, I did, but um, I thought the the movie i mean the movie does rely so much on tom cruise uh, in that role and his charisma like n- nothing against i i thought everyone came to play everyone played the part that was perfect for them but the movie had been built so much around him that i couldn't see them finishing it with just his sudden death so if that makes sense yeah i i thought for a second that they did it as a send off but here's the thing the only reason I even considered it is because if Hollywood killed James Bond, then nobody's off limits. Mm. And I thought, if this is what we're doing now, if you guys are willing to kill James Bond, I could see Tom Cruise being like, I want that. I want that. But it was very short lived. And, uh, then you quickly find out it, he, he wasn't, but, but, uh, but yeah, I was just curious if you had that same scare that or not scare, but but (laughs) passing thought that I did. Uh, okay, so this is a movie review episode, so we're going to do our one, two, three scoring system based off of that. Uh, I think we're both going to just... In agreement, yeah, yeah. This is a three. Like, get your For asses sure. to the theater pronto and go see Top Gun Maverick. And if you've already seen it, go see it again. I'm going to go see it a second time. Uh, I think Chelsea's going to go see it a second time. It is an amazingly fun theater experience. Yes, and you'll feel like you're getting that amazing hug from Tom Cruise that he gives to... Iceman in the first movie and then Rooster in the second movie. It's like, wouldn't we all want to have like a power hug from Tom Cruise like that? And I think you kind of feel that leaving the theater that you did just receive a bit of like this incredible, like just hyper hug from Tom Cruise by the end of it. Uh, Oh, speaking of hugs, I was so glad that Hangman, I thought he was about to say to Rooster, you can be my wingman anytime. And I was so glad they didn't do it. That's Iceman's line. Uh, Okay, well, that's going to do it for this episode. We're back. I'm so glad we're back. I'm so happy. I've missed putting these episodes out. I know Chelsea has too. Um, So I think next here pretty soon, uh, in the the spirit of Top Gun, James and I will be doing a Bad Movie Night episode on the original Top Gun. And I know what you're thinking bad movie night look i love top gun it's a lot of fun don't you dare look at me and tell me that's a good quality movie <laughs> it's, it's quality I think, well quality quality I, I, I think it's quality but i'll quality let you movie. and james quality yeah. movie but but 
substance is just it's just so full of silly stuff to make fun of but we t- james and i love top gun we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about it like we did batman and robin um but it's so easy to make fun of uh and then later in the month chelsea and i are been trying to gear up for a, a long planned episode yeah. last year chelsea was like i really want to do uh, a ridley scott episode a retrospective in the same vein we did with like david fincher and val kilmer uh we both love ridley scott uh who the fuck doesn't so uh we're trying to uh, catch up on some of his movies that maybe we haven't seen uh, and then rewatch some of the the ones we haven't seen in a while. But we're hoping late June, get this Ridley Scott episode out and bring that to you. I hope and- I can see House of Gucci by then. Because <laughs> I, I feel like I really missed the boat with that. Yeah. I, so many, I can't believe how many people hated it. It's like it, it knows it's ridiculous. Um, so other than that, a lot of exciting things coming out this this year. We got all these new uh interesting looking netflix movies coming out and uh got a lot to talk about coming up awesome all right well that's gonna do it so for the marquee spotlight i'm spencer bailey i'm chelsea Burnett. we'll see you Spotlight is recorded in Portland with music composed and produced by Josh Colopy and cover art created by Taylor Ingle. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates on new episodes. And if you like the show, please write a review and share with others.